The views and opinions expressed by the producers, hosts, and guests of Flash Black Radio do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Flash Black or its parent company. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, beautiful people. This is www.flashblackradio.com. I am DaVinci Parks, a.k.a. Lee Bennett III, and I am sitting with none other than the one and the only. Hey, Savage. Hey, friend. It's been a while. (laughs) It has been a very long while. It's good to have you back. It's good to be back. Life has been happening hard, and now it's not happening so hard. Okay. All right. Well, you know, sometimes we like things to happen hard, but sometimes we don't want that to be life. I can dig it. I don't actually like having life to ever happen hard. Okay. Okay. I can dig it. Well, it's good to have you back. Uh, this is not officially the usual suspects because we're missing two of our, our usual cohorts. That being one, Ms. T. Rich. And of course, uh, also Slim Williams. That makes the four of us the usual suspects. Today, it's Da Vinci Parks. And Kay Savage, we're going to hold it down. We're going to do our own little thing. And uh, yeah, there are a lot of things that we can discuss, but there's something that you were particularly excited about when we talked about recording for the week. And that was that was the, the, the climate uh, protests that are happening, not just, you know, across the country, you know, but this, this is a, a global thing that's trying to strike up. So this started last year, if I'm not mistaken. So Greta, yes, uh, Greta Thunberg, um, she's Swedish, yeah, and uh, she's 16 now, but I think she was 14, maybe 15 when she started uh, the school strikes. So um, a little background on her, she's Swedish, she has Asperger's, and um, she gives a TED Talk where she talks about like this journey that she's been on where um when she was around eight years old she started hearing about climate change like a lot and really i guess started to begin to understand you know in totality you know like the concept of of what it meant and what it meant for us as humans and um it sent her into a depression which is actually very common for people who are in um I guess they're calling it Generation C is uh, the younger people, people who are younger than millennials. Um, And uh, a lot of the younger millennials have a lot of existential angst uh, about what climate change um, will bring for the future. Many of them don't believe in capitalism because um, at key points in their life, they were, um, you know, they experienced financial crisis at key points in their life. Okay, so um, existential angst around uh, climate crisis and then also, which I think is related um, to, you know, the unsustainability of capitalism is actually a common thing in uh, young people because, you know, when they look at the science, when they look at the data, when they hear about the uh, important years that um, we're looking out for, um, important markers like 2050 and things like that, you know, we're talking about children who will be, you know, in their twenties and thirties and forties as compared to us who will be in, you know, our twilight years and seventies. Right. And so when people who are young now are, you know, hearing that by the time they reach midlife, when they will be, you know, um, reaching probably some of them, the tail end or um, others that the peak of their childbearing years, they're looking at, you know, a world that's unsustainable and, You know, when you think about the fact that a large majority of the world's population actually lives along coastlines um, and rivers and uh, along waterways because water is essential to life. Um, Or equatorial line across the equatorial line as well. So there's going to be that, too. Right. It it really makes you kind of sort of understand how many people are impacted. And when you think about the fact that the coast won't be safe, that there is massive flooding in a lot of places that are inland seasonal, but still, you know, massive enough to be wiping out, you know, whole towns and, you know, in, you know, places here in America, whole counties, you know, are devastated by um, these massive floods that occur from, you know, spring rains or winter melt 
or whatever the case may be. I think a lot of children, you know, and really, you know, adults, I, I wonder the same thing myself, ask themselves, where is there a safe place? You know, um, and I think, you know, for a lot of black and brown people in the face of, you know, what modern gentrification has looked like, the question becomes, where is the safe space for us? Because, you know, every place where black and brown people have historically lived in, you know, urban America has been at one point or another Columbus, you know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. by some enterprising developer who decides this is now a desirable place to live. And so you guys, you know, will now be dispossessed of, you know, these houses and this property and these neighborhoods and you'll have to shift somewhere else. And so the question for people on the margins who are being dispossessed um, just for gentrification and then also, you know, um, in some places for actual climate purposes, the question is, where is there safe? You know, and just because you are safe, um, because I think that, you know, got to openly admits that, you know, as a Swedish, you know, as, as, as a Swedish person, you know, she's definitely one of the more fortunate people um, to be positioned, you know, um, for this crisis because she comes from a country that is affluent. Um, and, you know, her mother's an opera singer. I don't know what her father does, but I mean, you know, like they're not poor. Um, they have enough money to um, have her, you know, not wanting to fly for vacation anymore be, you know, a big enough deal for the family that, you know, they had to completely change, you know, how they go about family trips and everything like that. So I think that, you know, um, this anxiety that she was feeling about what does the future hold? What does the world look like? Where are the safe places? And if there are no safe places, you know, what happens to those people? Because people are actively dying now. I mean, we can look at the Bahamas, you know, and, you know, Syria, is, is the, the, the Syrian civil war is considered, you know, the world's first, you know, climate conflict. Many of the uh, Guatemalan uh, and, you know, El Salvadoran uh, refugees who are coming into, um, you know, the United States seeking asylum, one of the reasons why there is so much violence is because, you know, there is, you know, economic instability due to climate crisis. There's been drought. Um, that has caused food shortages and, um, you know, the kind of economic instability in an agrarian society that forces people to migrate to other places. And if the safe places now, you know, are hostile to immigrants, then, you know, where in the world is safe? Because none of this, you know, is really, you know, sustainable behavior. So, so as actually, a result of actually, actually, I want I want to touch on that because uh, you're, you're making a lot of great points and you're making so many points i don't want to like gloss over all of them you know what i mean like you know i, I don't mm -hmm. want to lose all of them but you you made a good point in terms of uh like uh the situation in terms of immigration in terms of people fleeing from a disadvantaged lo disadvantageous location be it because as you said drought or famine or uh be it because of uh instability economically be it because of war it can be a number of reasons why uh, historically speaking, there have been places that have been more uh, affluent that were willing to take people in who were from other places because that was what you were supposed to do. Whether or not it was in the spirit of, you know, fellow humanity and all that stuff, you know, optics, yeah, and all that good stuff, whatever. We can get into like the Cuban versus Haitian thing, but by and large, we know that, you know, people like, you know, d during specific conflicts, um, Iran and Iraq get into war. Iranian people fled here. Cuba had had a thing in the 80s, obviously, uh, with Castro before 80s, obviously, but like especially in the 80s. It's a big um, influx of Cuban um, Haitians, you know. So we're, we're talking about uh, people of color and not just people of color, but people of color like, yeah, what it would. What is the end game in terms of like for people of color? Like, what happens when you know they, they all these countries like uh, who start doing the the severe right to fascist leaning countries uh, or the countries that are getting into the alt right stuff? Countries like our country, who's like you know Trump, you know like build a wall or like Europe um, um, nominated their their prime minister or whatever, who's a piece of work that I, mean, I know that some people from there are not fond of. Uh, what happens to all these people when, like, you know, they can't stay where they are, but they can't come to where they need to be to be safe with their families? So what happens next? Well, As you I see think it? that's, 
I think that's a real question that, you know, a lot of people are asking. A lot of children are asking that. A lot of, you know, older people are asking that. A lot of world leaders from these countries are asking that. I mean, the Bahamas is the latest country to be, you know, just really decimated by um, some kind of climate catastrophe. But um, and so they have appealed, you know, for help. But, you know, there are other countries, the Philippines, um, there are several uh, Pacific islands where people are, first of all, having to evacuate their islands because they're already being affected by sea level rise. And second of all, the question is, where are we supposed to go? You know, is, is, is you know, a third of the world supposed to live in a refugee camp, you know, on the outskirts of the rest of the two-thirds world? I mean, like, it just, you know, these are all questions that people who are thinking about, you know, history, revolutions, um, you know, uh, social unrest, how that, you know, can translate into violent social unrest, war, you know, all of these are questions that people are asking um, and all of these are anxieties that a lot of people are feeling, but especially the younger generation, because they look at a future that just doesn't exist in the way that our generation was allowed to believe that it could exist. And so um, all of this anxiety led her to um, have a little mini breakdown of sorts. And so um, she became she 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 was mute for a long time. She stopped speaking. And now she um, does speak, but um, she is um, living with selective mutism. So what that means is that she only speaks when she feels it's absolutely necessary um, because everything is just, you know, so overwhelming uh, and, and really unimportant in many ways to her otherwise. Um, and so she didn't speak for a while. And this and, is Greta, right? Um, hmm? This is Greta, right? Yeah, this is Greta. So when she was when she was about eleven or twelve, she didn't speak for a while, and then um, I, I through I guess intense therapy and really kind of you know being able to learn to cope by helping to um, help her family modify their lifestyle drastically to be more sustainable. Um, one of the things that she decided she was going to do was to stop going to school. So um, about a year ago now, she started uh, not going to school on Fridays and sitting outside of the Swedish parliament waiting for them to um, pass laws, do something, like actually take notice of what's going on. And so she um, sat out there alone for a while and then reporters started covering um, her protest and other students started to join her. Um, and that kind of all culminated in what happened on last Friday, September 20th, where 4 million people participated in a climate strike, you know, around the world on every continent, literally every continent, even in Antarctica, scientists and my guess is maybe even some children that may be down there because scientists have children and they take them, uh, you know, to wild and crazy places in the field. Um, so I don't know if there's children down there for sure, but um, the scientists who were down there were definitely protesting. So, you know, four million people around the world on, you know, seven continents stood up and said, you know, we, this, this, this cannot be anymore. And I think one of the things that's really exciting to me is yes, Greta, you know what I'm saying? But also there's all these, you know, beautifully brown and black melanated kids, you know what I'm saying? Who are out here talking about not just climate justice, not just climate change, but climate justice, climate equity. You know, what does it look like when, you know, many of the countries who are going to be most severely affected by climate change have not actually participated in, you know, any of the development or, you know, carbon burning activities that got us here? Um, and what does their dispossession look like? Many of these people are indigenous. Um, many of them are, um, you know, just poor. Um, many of them are black and brown and living in countries where classism and colorism and classism by color is, you know, very much a thing. And mm. so it's not just about, you know, when, when we think about climate, you know, change, when we think about what, what needs to be done in order to um, really kind of be able to keep a little bit of the climate that we have now. Um, 
all of the things that need to be done affect every aspect of life that you can imagine. It affects how we get our energy. It affects maybe how often we upgrade our cell phones or how often they even come out with new models. Because, you know, one of the things that we focus on is the burning of fossil fuels. But one of the things that most people, you know, one of the dirtiest secrets about climate change and uh, carbon extraction or extractive, you know, industries is the fact that the biggest addiction that, you know, modern civilization has is not to oil, although we love oil, but it's actually to plastic, you know, like, and one of the things that is really frightening to a lot of people when you have to think about it is that much of modern medicine cannot exist without plastic. And so we need to figure out what are the alternatives to plastic, what are the alternatives to petroleum, you know, like how do we maintain, you know, much of the lifestyle that we've come accustomed to and not even necessarily, you know, from a luxury standpoint, but again, much of modern medicine is based on plastic. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about all of the single use things, when we think about, you know, how we keep sterility, when you think about the packaging of things, all plastics make that shit possible. I mean, like that commercial has never been truer than when you think about modern medicine or even when you think about a lot of this technology that people are talking about developing that would, you know, take carbon out of the atmosphere and put it into the ground probably depends on a lot of plastic pieces, you know what I'm saying, to make these things go, even if it's just the machines and the cell phones and the sensors and everything that, you know, will be required. Um, And so, like, we really have to rethink everything about how we live um, and how we build and how we, you know, manufacture. And I think the thing that I find most exciting about Greta um, is that, As someone with Asperger's, she's not really able to engage in the social niceties. There is no sugarcoating shit. It's just like, look, the data says we fucked up. You know what I'm saying? And like, so we're fucked up. And I'm not really interested in you telling me what you're going to do that's not actually going to do anything. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Because, you know, there are a lot of people in her generation um, and older and younger who really feel like their dreams have been stolen. And I think there are a lot of people who are definitely in their 30s and, you know, 40s who have children or are contemplating whether or not it's even wise to have children. Like, can you even guarantee your children that they can have a climate, you know what I'm saying, you know, that will sustain life in a way that, you know, means that there is room for everybody? Or will we have leadership that will, you know, do what they need to do to make sure that there is, you know, um, a healthy existence for everybody on this planet? And I think when you look at the current political system, um, that doesn't exist. And I think the thing that I find most exciting about all of this is that um, she is young, the people who are on the same page as her as are are young. And I think one of the things that people, you know, talk about when they think about Occupy Wall Street, when they think about all of these movements that really call into question capitalism and a lot of the industries um, that our economic system currently depends on, you know, people look at them and they say, oh, you guys don't have any leaders. Like, you know, everybody's waiting for the next Messiah. But the reality is they're not leaderless. You know, they're leaderful. There's a whole bunch of, you know, people everywhere who are leading their, you know, communities on a hyper-local, you know, very local, you know, like, you know, regional level. Mm -hmm. And people are addressing the solutions that are right for them in the time and place that they're existing in. And I think that that is something it's I think it's really hard for people to wrap their minds around this kind of rhizomatic. Um, revolution and evolution of thought and perspective because it's not limited to one place. You know, it's happening spontaneously everywhere. And we can say, oh, yes, this person was a forerunner or yes, this person was out here or yes, this person garnered attention. But the reality is there is there are, there are hundreds of thousands of people who are ready to lead on this. And there are millions of people who are ready to follow. And I would even venture to say that there's probably a cool billion or two people who are ready if, you know, there is a plan that is vocalized and, you know, attempted to be put into place who would follow. Because I think that there are many people who understand that, like, these, you know, 
these extractive um, and exploitative industries and practices um, that fuel the system, they're just, they're not sustainable. And not even in a way where it's like, oh, maybe one day, you know, this will collapse. We're literally on the verge of collapse. Like we're in the middle of a mass extinction, you know, something like 200 species go extinct every day. And I mean, like, that's just insane to imagine that, like, it's September, what, 24th? Mm-hmm. It is the end of September and my nigga, it was 90 some degrees outside today. You know what I'm saying? When it, when the sun sets this evening, you know, in Washington, DC, it may dip down to the sixties, but it's not even going to have that good fall chill to it. You know what I'm saying? Like right now, I feel like these last, you know, like three or four years that we've had, even with the polar vortexes that we've had, like we've had more extremes of weather that are just kind of like undeniable. Anybody who was born in 1970 something cannot sit right now anywhere in the world, I don't believe, and say this is the winter that we had when I was the kid or these are the summers that we had when I was a kid. All of this shit is new to us. You know what I'm saying? And I think that we've been slow walked, a lot of us older people, we've been slow walked into this change and we're so used to listening to, oh, there's a crisis coming. Oh, there's a crisis coming. And nobody ever does anything about it. So I, I think that there's like this kind of like learned apathy that everybody is engaging in. But there's a bunch of children that are like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me basically that the world and civilization as we know it cannot exist. You know what I'm saying? In any iteration that we can imagine, you know, that is sustainable in less than a generation and less than the time that it will take for me to become a parent of grown children and you want me not to panic and the rest of us are like eh, it'll be okay so but let's, I think let's, let's peel that back let's peel that back a little bit so uh and and you you've spoken about it quite a bit um but like uh corporate interest is obviously a huge deal um right it's now the only deal yeah i i know but uh, we have essentially we have uh, industries that have been around for a century or more. We have uh, we have, you know, power industry. We have oil industry. We have, uh, you know, people who got like banking you got all these things that are intertwined or whatever. And right now it's about the bottom line and how much money you can bring home for the business and the shareholders, because those are the people that that pretty much move the economy forward. And that's, you know, what people look at in terms of when they're talking about the economy and how well the, the economy is going, you're really talking about a lot of times in a lot of instances, you're talking about the stock market. And again, that's affecting a very small number of people because not everybody's investing. Dude, um, we're talking about the 1%. And I think, you know, Occupy Wall Street and that, you know, that, that the economic justice movement comes into play. And all of that is important because they have outlined to us exactly what the percentage of the globe is benefiting from this. Right. You know what but, I'm saying? But, They're, but, the, what I, what I, I, what I don't want to get like off track on because you were speaking to it. You were speaking to, uh, you were speaking to the younger generation. Um, and you were speaking about how this is basically, um, igniting a fire within them. And I think the beautiful thing about that is um, when you're young, if you don't have people constantly trying to stamp it out of you, you can dream big and you have the, you have the desire and you have the tenacity and you have the energy to like push for things that maybe other people wouldn't push for. That, that is that, that that is that is actually one of the things that makes you young. That there's some people who are able to stay perpetually young. Like for example, and you know, I'm not I don't get off task, but I look at somebody like Richard Branson, who's obviously an older dude, but I think he stays young-ish, so to speak, because that dude keeps his sense of adventure, and he's very much you know along those lines or whatever. I'm not trying to put him on a pedestal. I'm just saying no, use that as a no, quick example. No, I, I I would totally agree with you, but I would say that. The kind of political engagement, like like the, the reality is this, when we look at the civil rights movement, you know, when we look at, you know, almost any revolution in history, it's really led by a bunch of, you know what I'm saying, barely 30, maybe some 40 year olds and a whole bunch of 20 year olds, you know what I'm saying, who are willing to put their bodies on the line. And I think the reality is, you know, revolution is either a single person, an entire family, 
you know, uh, activity or it is a young person's game. And the reason why I limited to those groups is because single people don't have to worry about families. You know what I'm saying? They don't have to worry about sustaining a life for other people. You know, whole families that are engaged in the activity of revolution, you know what I'm saying, where mom, dad, you know what I'm saying, are all about the business of raising, you know what I'm saying, many revolutionary soldiers, if necessary. You know, those people are willing to, their whole family system is dependent upon, you know, bringing about social change. And young people are people who, you know, they're young, they're willing to take risks. They may be, are, they're still trying to establish themselves and they're fighting for, you know, their place in the world. And I think one of the things that a lot of, you know, middle-aged and older people, you know, weren't, they're not fighting for their place in the world, you know, and the ones that are, are about the business of revolution, but the ones that are comfortable and settled who make up the establishment, you know, there's no, there's no revolution for them. You know what I'm saying? Like that's to them, that's definitely a young man's game because, you know, when you talk about revolution, when you talk about changing whole systems, when you talk about, you know, destabilizing, you know, the economic basis of, you know what I'm saying, a whole global economy, that makes people real uncomfortable because they like, wait a minute, I got mortgages. So like, are we going to destabilize the system? And like, are we going to disable the banks? Because like, if motherfuckers are going to disable the banks, I don't have matter. to make my mortgage payment. That wouldn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Like, I might be down. You know That what wouldn't saying? matter. They're, I mean, if we, you saw what happened when the banks clashed in 2008, the first thing they did was they bailed the banks out with the taxpayers' money. We didn't get nothing well, out of that deal. They didn't, well, they didn't recast know, the loans and, or and, anything. And, 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 and there's a lot of people of Greta's generation who saw their whole college generation go down the drain. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of people of Greta's generation who, after the 2008 crash, saw their whole, you know what I'm saying, style and, you know, status of living drop drastically because, you know what I'm saying, banks got bailed out, but people didn't, you know what I'm saying? Stock market got better. And so we keep talking about the stock market as if it's the economy, mm-hmm. but it's not, you know what I'm saying? It's the motherfucking slot machine of the very rich and those who are fortunate enough to have um, employers who are willing to invest in their retirement plans. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I think that what inspires me about Greta is that she's very straightforward. She's not sugarcoating shit and she's winning people over with the fact that like, like her testimony to the UN was the motherfucking climate report. You know what I'm saying? Like, she was like, I don't have anything to say. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the data. Listen to the scientists. They got ideas. So I'm glad that y'all are, you know what I'm saying? Enamored with me, but please let's pay attention to the data. Here it is. Here's a because uh, we, we, we've been on this for a little while and I don't want to get like uh, locked in on this too hard. Um, but I do want to uh, ask this question just really quick, like minute, 90 seconds. Like, what do you think it would take to like start shifting the the I would, I would maybe the neutral or slightly indifferent mind with it when it comes to climate change? Because at the end of the day, the science has been out there for some time. The window's getting smaller in terms of what is, is is going to be the 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 drop in? Some people think that we've already crossed the line. Some people say now there's time. But you know, what do you think is is going to is going to take to get people more involved and conscientious about doing something to protect the planet? Because at the end of the day, if we don't have a planet to like you know where people can live within reason, then we're gonna we're gonna like civilization will destabilize before everything goes up in literal flames or proverbial flames. I think the thing that makes me excited about Greta is the same and and the school strike and, you know, the youth climate activism is the same thing that made me excited about Occupy Wall Street. And that is that, you know, there's a whole conversation shift that's happening. And the people who are in control of the mainstream conversation are ignoring these, you know, side conversation and acting like, you know what I'm saying? It's not a thing. They're acting like, oh, those are just the people on the margins. But the reality is the thing about Wall Occupy Wall Street is that an action like Occupy Wall Street that exists in the public consciousness leads somebody like Greta 
to then stand outside of, you know what I'm saying, Swedish parliament and say, I'm going to do this on my own. One person can make a difference. And that makes other people stand up and take notice. And the ideas that they have, they then have the courage and begin to act on. And I think what people don't understand is that when you have a whole generation, you know what I'm saying? And when we talk about, you know, places like Saudi Arabia, Syria, Egypt, you know, much of, you know, the African continent, much of the Latin American continent, much of South Asia. We're talking about places that have one quarter, at least, of their population under 25. And when one quarter, you know what I'm saying, of your population is under 25 and anywhere, depending on where the world you are, from 60 to 80 percent of them don't believe in capitalism, do think that climate change is a real fucking emergency. The reality is revolution is fucking coming. And I am so excited for it because the reality is we are going to get to a point where like that whole shutdown DC thing that will happen all day, every day for weeks at a time, because people aren't going to listen. There's trillions of dollars of money to be made for a very few, but very few small amount of people who have a whole lot of power. And the reality is there's a whole lot of people who understand just how powerful they are. If they unite who aren't having this shit anymore. You know what I'm saying? They don't believe in any of the systems. They don't believe in any of the rhetoric. And you can't placate those people. Okay. Well said. So thank you for all that. Um, and I, wanna... I would just like to say, to add to that, as a 40-year-old, I am not putting on my body on the line at all. But I got all the organizational and administrative support in the world. Because that is what the older generation has to offer. We have organizational Experience. and administrative knowledge and wisdom, you know what I'm saying, that needs to be synergized with all of these ideas about what comes next that young people have. Because the reality is if anybody who was 40 years old knew what came after capitalism, knew what came after, you know what I'm saying, extractive carbon energy, we would be doing that by now, but we don't, you know what I'm saying? So, but what we do have to lend is, you know what I'm saying, the kind of technocratic, bureaucratic support that is necessary to make revolutions, evolutions, not flash in the pan. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, so while we're talking about corporate interests and big business, et cetera, et cetera, I'm going to make a weird but not so crazy jump to the prison industrial complex. And how I would like to like basically, and it's not really a focus on directly on a prison industrial complex, but rather like the route to it, which is something called the school to prison pipeline. And hmm. I wanted to talk about and which incident. is directly related to investment because we can trace a lot of that shit back to you know what I'm saying what Israelis do on Palestinian citizens. You know that's why BDS is important to Black people. But I digress. It's cool. It's cool. Um, we have uh, an, had an incident in Orlando, Florida. Uh, I have to look at the date. It's within the past week. Uh, I was listening to the Joe Madison show on Sirius XM, channel 126. If you have Sirius radio, he's on 6 to 10 in the morning. I would highly uh, uh, advise that you listen, you know, and just, just check him out. Um, but anyway, he was talking about uh, there was a school resource officer in Orlando, Florida, who decided that he should essentially arrest a six-year-old. And an eight-year-old. But let's back it all the way up. Let's I, back I it think all they got the, the age. But wait, wait a second. I, I just, I just, I don't really want to bury the lead. I just want to get right to it. Because some of you might be thinking, okay, well, arresting a six-year-old or whatever, like, uh, they had it again. Uh, well, they this time, Dennis Turner, who is the officer uh, who has been put on leave, uh, last I, I read, um, it's actually a black dude. So I, I just want to throw that out there. But uh, yeah, school resource officer. There's a protocol essentially in terms of, and I, I'm going to get back to you, Kay Savage. Um, but there's a protocol um, that is supposed to happen in terms of um, a child over 12 years old. If there is there's a need to arrest them, there's a protocol that you follow through. Um, the protocol was not followed through. And again, this person was, this child was obviously under the age of 12 at six years old, kindergartner. And essentially why the kindergartner was arrested was because she had a temper tantrum as sometimes kindergartners are want to do 
when she was taken to the office, I think, she uh, had a temper tantrum. Somebody tried to restrain her, and she, like, you know, had more of a temper tantrum and kicked back, at which point she was placed in handcuffs and arrested. Um, the idea that our children, black and brown, are criminalized has often been overlooked, underplayed, and, and downright ignored. But I think this is a clear-cut case of how you can criminalize a child as early as six years old. This is uh, ridiculous. We'll get back to why this is a problem, but I don't want to lose what you were saying. So, Kay Savage, what were you going to say? So, I would like to back it all the way up because, you know, I don't really care what color school resource officer is. Whiteness is performative. Anybody can perform it. There's that. Mm -hmm. Then we talk about the fact that, um, excuse me. How the fuck is he a school resource officer when he was convicted for assaulting his own motherfucking child? You know what I'm saying? Like you consider if you are convicted of assaulting your own child, you should not be allowed to be in a setting with other children. How the fuck did he pass a background check? Florida. Anyway. So, you know what I'm saying? He's a child abuser, known to the law to be a child abuser, but he's still allowed to work in a school. I feel like this right here is an example of why prisons don't even make sense if you really think about it. At what age is it okay to arrest any student without, you know what I'm saying, checking in with an authority? At what age is it actually okay to be arresting any student who's not actually trying to outright kill another student in a classroom or in school or on school property? And I ask that because, you know, When children act out, it's because they're in pain and we need to be asking what the fuck is wrong with these kids? Because, see, when we arrest children, that's how we don't understand how we end up with children that shoot up schools. Well, it's because we actually put children in handcuffs in school. Why are we putting children in handcuffs? Who the fuck thought it was ever okay to put any child in handcuffs? Because I really have a hard time as a 40-year-old with looking at some 18-year-olds like they're actually supposed to be grown adults and thinking that it would be okay to even put an 18-year-old grown-ass supposedly person in handcuffs when we know for a fact that their brains aren't even adult yet. You know what I'm saying? Many of them don't even have the impulse control that they need to stop themselves from doing things that sometimes they don't even want to do. They just can't stop themselves from doing. Moreover, this little girl, I don't even understand how we got the school resource officer involved. She got narcolepsy. School knows this. Because she has narcolepsy, she tends to act out. And I feel like temper tantrum is the most fucked up, wrong ass choice of words ever because nothing about a child who is acting out because of a real serious health condition or a concern about their personal physical safety is actually a temper tantrum. A temper tantrum should be confined to displays a child. of emotion. No, they should be right, but those are displays of emotion that are done to manipulate by a child who is upset because they're not getting their way. Not a child who is hungry or tired or doesn't feel safe or needs to feel loved in a particular moment. None of those things should be termed as actual temper tantrums. And so she didn't have a temper tantrum. What she was was tired, probably needed a nap, and was not of the mindset to be following whatever instructions she was following. And her teacher is a whole ass failure because if you know that a child has a health concern, I'm not really interested in the fact that you got a whole bunch of other kids in your class. I am interested in the fact that you got a whole bunch of other kids in your class, but you got a child with a health issue that needs to be managed. And if you can't do that with all the other kids in your class, I'm going to go as far as to say you're not equipped to be a teacher. Now, I'm not saying that teachers don't need more support than what they get. I fully acknowledge that. I'm not saying teachers ever get paid enough. They don't. I fully acknowledge that. But what I also want everybody to understand in this society that we live in is that no one is paid what they're worth. Everybody deserves more. Nobody is getting supported enough. That being said, you have signed up to do the job that you are going to do, and you need to do it to the best of your ability without causing harm to others. And if you know that a child has an actual health issue that will create a behavioral issue which as far as I'm concerned, I didn't read anything, but I mean, we all know what sleepy children do. You know what I'm saying? And nothing about what a sleepy child who doesn't want to follow instructions says calling a school resource officer who, you know what I'm saying, is prone to pull out handcuffs and be overly aggressive with children because, oh, by the way, he's also a known child abuser. The whole situation is fucked. 
Yeah. And all I'm going to say about that is Florida. <laughs> so you actually bodied everything I would have said on, on that side of the spectrum. So I'll, I'll, I'll jump back to the, the school to prison pipeline and my concern from that perspective. Um, and, and, and it simply is, I'm not going to over, over talk it, um, but it simply is the idea that you can start a record on these kids as early as kindergarten as they are failures, uh, they're problematic, they're, they're hard to control, they have attitude problems, they can't learn. You label these kids with all these things at an early age, and when you're in a system that takes these things from one school district to the next, and you know, you got from one school to the next, one grade to the next, uh, you know, these are things that these students, especially at a young age when kids are so impressionable, these are things that they can be- themselves begin to believe and then they can start becoming that self-fulfilling prophecy. You told them they weren't shit from the time they were in kindergarten to first grade to second grade to third grade. So when they start acting out in fourth and fifth grade, then you're saying, oh, they're a problem and you don't know what's going on or whatever. But that maybe wasn't the thing. Maybe you just didn't deal with them properly. Maybe you didn't have enough resources. There's so many other questions that can be asked. But the problem is that you've already put these people or these young these young these young kids who are black and brown in most instances in a situation where they're already behind. You're already ready to leave them behind with like lesser resources in the schools that they're learning in. Uh, uh, teachers are paid um, less than if you would go to like a like a private school at the same grade grade level. Uh, experience there. There's no, so many. I have to I have to jump in. I have to absolutely jump in here. Right. Little known fact. Private, private school schools. teachers usually uh, private school teachers actually are often paid less. They're not unionized. <laughs> How about that? So okay. those teachers are doing, you know what I'm saying, more for less money because they have more resources. That's what more resources in the classroom looks like. More resources in the classroom looks like I will take a pay cut and I will maybe even take a benefit cut because I will get the support that I need in the See, classroom. but you raise an interesting thing. So that, that that's like that's that's all uh, that's along the lines of you know, and it depends on if you get into tens of thousands of dollars, but that's a very good point because that's like no, we're if, talking significant. No, 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 no. I'm, I, no, but, but, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear what you're saying. And I'm not trying to minimize anything. What I'm trying to say is that that does speak to if you are getting paid eighty thousand dollars to do a job that you absolutely love, and you have to go like you know really far to get there, versus. A hundred thousand dollars to do a shit job. This is right around the corner. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, which one takes more of a toll over time? You're invigorated when you're going to the job you love and you're willing to do it. The shit job you're just keeping because it's money or it could be the inverse. It could be one of those things where you got a job that's paying, you know, eighty five thousand and you have to go maybe like, you know, like a 30 minute commute versus like, you know, a hundred thousand for like a, you know. A, an hour and a half commute. Are you although you're getting more on an hour and a half commute? I mean, job wise, get more on an hour and a half commute. You're probably paying more in metro fees if you're taking the metro or doing a blend of metro and like you know driving. But if you're driving, there's gonna be more on gas um, per month. There's more wear and tear in your car, which means more maintenance. There's less satisfaction because you have to get up earlier to get out the house. You're in traffic longer. You're outside of your house longer. You have less time with your family. So there are all these things that factor in in terms of like how much money you're actually making and versus like you know your your life satisfaction, right? So, um, yeah, I mean that that could be a thing too. That that's a bit of a tangent, but we do tangents here, so it's cool. Um, but. I mean, I just wanted to just throw the school to prison pipeline. I I just think this is just another clear cut case, though, in terms of how these kids can be typecasted and put into positions without their knowing, where they're 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 essentially not destined because I don't believe in that, but they're 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 put into position where it's a higher likelihood that they can fail, and well, if they perception. do perception becomes reality yeah. and when the written record says that you're problematic you're troublesome you're overly aggressive you know and we use terms that indicate you may be prone to violence even though that's not actually what's mm-hmm. happening at all mm-hmm. you know that 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 does sort of predetermine what you are supposed to be treated like in many people's mind and i think the the scarier thing is that science tells us it doesn't matter if your teacher was black or brown it doesn't matter if the 
school resource officer was black or brown. If you are black or brown, you're more likely to be adultified, meaning children, you know, these these black and brown kids are just up in school acting like any other tired, sad, you know what I'm saying, angry, frustrated black or brown kid, kid would be. But white children will get a pass for that same behavior that black children are, you know what I'm saying, handcuffed, fingerprinted, and booked for. You hear about that kid in Philly? Um, I, it was maybe a week or two ago. Um, uh, he was essentially waiting for the bus stop. It was hot. He had his shirt off, whatever. And uh, he was waiting with his friends. Uh, p- uh, police came by, um, like harassed him or whatever, took him, put him in the backseat of the car or whatever. You know, basically just trying to punk him or whatever, and his friends would not leave without him. They're like, "Nah, you can go catch the bus." They're like, "Nah, we we not leave without our friend. We're good. We'll, we'll we'll stay here." So, no. Kudos, kudos, kudos to them. But it's basically one of those things, like you know, like he wasn't like the idea that you are more likely to be uh, harassed for living your everyday life. You know, even at a young age. And again, like you, we're talking about a six-year-old who's going to have a memory of being handcuffed. Uh, who will never trust the police again. Yeah, why would you? But there's so many kids like that. And then this and this is the other thing. So depending upon who, where they're coming from. Who may never trust the teacher again. Right, right. Depending upon where they're coming from, you have a lot of individuals who are in areas where they're more heavily policed. Although the crime might be the same as the other side of town where maybe it's a little less brown and black. But they're more heavily policed because that's the way policing works. You but, put, but let's even be let's let's even be honest about the fact that you know things that are considered crimes for black and brown children are really just the inconveniences of children, you know, and white children. You know, like a a, a white child throwing a temper tantrum because they have narcolepsy or just because they're fucking tired or just because I don't fucking feel like it. You know what I'm saying? Would be excused, you know, way more easily and more often than you know what I'm saying. This little girl who ended up in handcuffs, you know what I'm saying? Like, like even, even just our choice of words, you know what I'm saying? Like if there was a white kid who had the same incident going on, would they even, you know, call it a temper tantrum or would a teacher call or send a note home to say, Oh, you know, little Kevin had an incident today. You know what I'm saying? He was a little tired. You know what I'm saying? What do you think maybe we could try and do? Like they, they, they would be fishing for solutions, you know what I'm saying? To a perceived health and educational problem. You know what I'm saying? Whereas this little girl was failed by everybody. And I, I think in these situations, we pay so much attention to what the school resource officer is doing because it's so egregious. But like, let's talk about the failure of the teacher to actually mitigate, you know what I'm saying, the situation without needing to call in the school resource officer. Like your job as a teacher is to deal with children's bullshit all day long. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say this. And I'm I, again, like you know, I I picked up the article by listening to uh, Joe Madison. I I read the article. Um, I planned on sharing it yesterday, and I forgot to be honest. I, I meant to like tweet it and Instagram it out. Um, I I don't disagree with what you're saying, but the reality can and sometimes is as somebody who has taught. Um, if you have the attention of 20 students and two students choose not to pay attention sometimes you'll take that l on those two students to be i've been a waitress i've I've been a waitress in a sports bar with like 10 tables during playoff season with motherfuckers grabbing all over me standing room only and you know what i never did spit in anybody's food or drinks because they were rude as shit to me so the reality is i totally understand that children can push your boundaries. I don't teach because, you know what I'm saying, I'm not interested in children like that. But I also understand that there's all kinds of jobs where people push the limits of your boundaries and your patience, you know what I'm saying, and people don't routinely assault, spit at, spit on, you Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying, or, you know what I'm saying, do all types of foul shit to those people and then use as the excuse, oh, well, it was a difficult situation. Because when that shit does go down in those situations, ain't nobody ever understanding. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's always, oh, they wrong as shit. You know what I'm saying? That person should be, you know what I'm saying, crucified and shamed out of existence. You know what I'm saying? But like, we never really think about that. You know what I'm saying? When the tables are turned on teachers. And I think the reality is everybody got a standard and their standard, just like police officers is higher because you, you know what I'm saying? Have young, developing, fragile minds and psyches in your hands. 
And if you're not interested in parenting a classroom full of children, you probably shouldn't be teaching because we know now through science that teaching is way more than just, you know, imparting lessons about, you know what I'm saying, some curriculum that somebody drawn up. It's way more about shaping human beings into not assholes, you know what I'm saying, who can go out and be functioning, contributing members of society. Okay. So uh, that can go into a, a very big tailspin. <laughs> in terms of conversation and um ladies and gentlemen Look, if you I have, have to do your job to understand what your job description is no i i get it but then it, it can be very nuanced is what i'm saying so like i i hear all of what you're saying mm-hmm. and you you i think you you caveated it perfectly in terms of saying i understand that you, you you should be paid more and you're not that you should have more support and you don't um those things, um, because at the end of the day, we're all people. Those things can can factor in. I'm not scapegoating or like you know, like uh, giving a pass to the teacher. That's not what I'm trying to say. I- I'm saying in the larger scheme of things that sometimes um, I don't I don't know is is, is this a, a one time thing or is this an everyday thing? Like I don't know what the what the nuances or the specifics are. What I do know is that the outcome of a child being arrested at six years old for like kicking, like like uh, children can do stuff like that. Children can do stuff like that at 10 years old and that doesn't warrant them being arrested. It's just ridiculous. And if that's your, if that's your response to how a, a child is to be treated, if that's your, if that's your way of disciplining and showing how to like, you know, I, I just, I, I just, I have a lot of questions. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think we we both agree that it's ridiculous, and I I'm not saying in this particular situation that the teachers without blame. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying that you know I don't want to make blanket statements in terms of like you know what teachers face. As someone who was a uh, seen some very interesting things, uh, so yeah, that's all. But all that being said, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we thank you for your listenership. Um, K Savage, it is super good to see your face. Um, I'm happy to, I'm happy to like have you back to be able to look at them dimples. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, on behalf of the other two, uh, usual suspects who are not here, that would be one T Rich and one Slim Williams. I am Da Vinci Parks, aka Lee Bennett the third, my co host in crime today. K Savage. Support your little revolutionaries. Indeed, indeed. Don't try to stamp stamp out their dreams. Be supportive, you shitbags. All right. <laughs> oh, we yeah, lo- no, sharing their joy. Sharing yeah, yeah. their joy. We, we, people got to learn how to be supportive and stop hating. Uh, but no, seriously, uh, we love each and every one of you for uh, listening to us. We love you for sharing us. So please share us. We are available on your major podcast networks and of course we are on spotify we did a little change it up over the weekend so if you just look for s-y-m-h-m for shit you might have missed you will find the usual suspects a lot easier it's an independent feed specifically for our channel so you can listen to us in case you don't want to listen to stuff on health and wellness or you know interesting stories about people almost being abducted abroad because we have those too um and it's don't feel you. bad if you don't because sometimes i forward past those shows that's that's cool. That's cool. No everybody, shade. everybody no shade. listens to platform. Uh, but you know, we all like what we like. Yeah, that's the that's the entire purpose of having Flash Black Radio. We want to be able to have something for a little bit of everybody, a little bit of something for a little bit of everybody. You get what I'm saying? I'm, I need to eat. But uh, thank you so much for your listenership. Please check us out: IG Flash Black Radio, Twitter Flash Black Radio, and Flash Black News, and the Facebook group and page Flash Black Radio. Check us out under Flash Black. Just search for us. You should know the logo by now. Yeah, we are out of here. Thank you. Stay blessed. Stay woke. Peace.